You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Pukko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron, Cote St. Luke, the capital, I think, of Canada in some ways, especially Absolutely. whenever you're there. You know, you know, Rabbi Pukko, last week we joked, we started, I don't know, you know, you have to start today talking about uh, the terror in Eretz Yisrael and um, supposedly the linkage in some way, according to Islamic State, to the uh, summit that was occurring in State Boker between representatives of Bahrain and of the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, and, uh, and Israel. And yeah. um, so it's really a, a, a tremendous mixer. But I think the first thing we have to say is, I don't have the names of all the, the, the Nertzochim. The, the, the well, listen, I think we should start with Beersheva about a week ago. Uh, yes. Doris yes. Yabas, Laura Yitzchak, Menachem Yecheskel, and Rabbi Moshe Kravitsky. I think over, over 10... Uh, you sign them over 10 orphans for the attack there. And then you had... Hadera. Uh, and Shirel Abu Karat. And then um, yesterday you had uh, in B'nai Brak, Yaakov Shalom, Avishai Yecheskel, and Amir Khoury. And, uh, and two, I don't have the names, the two uh, two foreign nationals. Uh, they, they might have actually been people who escaped escaped the Ukraine. I mean, it is so incredible that this is not, you know, it, it's not incurring the outrage of the world. Um, these, uh, you know, attacks on people who have who are non-combatants. I mean, you know, there's 11 dead in the last eight days and three attacks. And if you follow the news closely, sadly, this wasn't a surprise because the incitement is uh, coming from uh, the West Bank and, and, and Gaza and elsewhere. The incitement has been ratcheted up enormously. Some attribute that to the impending holiday of Ramadan, which coincides with Pesach and Easter this year, uh, starting uh, this weekend. Uh, some attribute it to just a desperate attempt by the Palestinians to uh, to get some attention back on themselves because they haven't, uh, w- between Israel's uh, vigorous uh, new relations with uh, Arab countries from North Africa to the Gulf uh, and the conflict in between Russia and Ukraine, Palestinians feel, I think, they've been shunted to the side. And the they, they're a one-trick pony. The only way they can, they think they can make their claim is through death. And uh, that's what they've done for decades and decades. And that's what they continue to do. They, uh, uh, an alternative approach has never occurred to them, apparently. Well, and I, I did catch a little bit of the talking heads yesterday, and it was astonishing to me how um, instead of condemning you know, just acts of ran- random killing and slaughtering, they were saying, oh, this peace agreement and what's going on in state care between these states is no way does it change the situation of oppression uh, that's occurring uh, against the Palestinians. Shouldn't you know? I want, I, want, I want to read you something that I think a lot of people missed. In the meeting earlier this week, in Stade Boker with the foreign ministers uh, from um, those countries, uh, Bahrain, Bahrain, and uh, Egypt, um, and Morocco, 
uh, something interesting happened. The foreign minister of the United Arab Emirates, uh, Al, Al Nayyan, at the end of his prepared remarks, went on to talk. And he said the following. He said um, he thanked the foreign minister from Egypt for showing us leadership 43 years ago and legitimizing Israel and making peace with Israel. And then he said, Israel has been part of this region for a very long time. And then he kept talking to the Egyptian foreign minister. I mean, you know, he looked at him in front of everyone. and He said, we lost those 43 years since Egypt took the bold step to make peace. And now he said, he, the UAE foreign minister uh, said to him, we are now, we are just now trying to follow your footsteps. And the tragedy is we all know whether it's next year or next decade, a similar speech will be given at one point by a Palestinian leader, hopefully, and, uh, and admit that they wasted decades and thousands of lives uh, for nothing. And uh, they could, get, could have gotten on the peace train when Egypt did, when Jordan did, and now all the, uh, the countries in the Gulf of North Africa under the Abraham Accords. Uh, we know that day will come. We hope it comes sooner rather than later. But all it takes for them uh, to begin to lead a normal life and for Israelis to feel safer is for them to accept uh, reality. And uh, they seem incapable of doing so. You know, I, I, uh, pictures are sometimes worth a thousand words and sometimes they lie <laughs> incredibly. But when I look at the picture of this sort of awkward moment of crossing arms and connecting with each other, um, it seems like the happiest guy in the picture um, is Rashid Al-Zayani uh, of Bahrain. Actually, I yeah. should say his name better. His name is Abdulatif bin Rashad Al-Zayani. He seems quite happy. Um, and Sheikh Abdullah bin Zayad Al-Nayran of the UAE, he, he says, okay, I guess I got to show up for this picture as well. Um, Yair Lapid seems seems to be, be beaming here. And even Anthony Blinken, you know, despite, you know, the fact that uh, the, the criticism of Trump and his foreign policies, it sounds like Blinken uh, uh, appreciates what was Listen, done. We all know that if Trump had been anybody else, the Abraham Accords would have triggered a, a, a healthy batch of Nobel Prizes. But uh, everything, uh, because of how he behaved in other arenas, everything he touched, uh, everything he did was tainted by his you know, and uh, and so that's the sad reality. But uh, well, it was definitely. Right again, it's the the images of you know Arabs and Jews, uh, Muslims. I don't know if the, Muslims and Jews bonding together, recognizing. Um, how but if you're a Palestinian who has drunk the Palestinian Kool Aid, the, the deep, profound sense of betrayal that you must feel is is is, is, is profound. I mean, it's a uh, you know, the Arab world has, listen, and you read what they write in the Kuwaiti newspapers and Saudi Arabia is that, you know, the Palestinians no longer deserve our support. They had every opportunity. They've betrayed us. Uh, they, were, they weren't loyal to their patrons. They supported Iraq, for instance, when it invaded Kuwait some years back. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, and the big divide in the Middle East, as everyone says, is not between Israel and the Arabs or Israel and the Palestinians, but between the Sunni states and the Shi in, 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 in Iran. And uh, and there are those who believe that the key element here is these countries understanding where the threat comes from, understanding they have a common enemy in Iran, 
many people, you know, interpret this through the lens of, of, uh, of business where there's uh, opportunities for growth on uh, an advancement on both sides by working together. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different interpretations to, to what motivated this. What I will tell you is that I spoke, I, I, I'm friendly with the guy that used to work, uh, it was in charge of BB's office. And, um, and I was talking about what triggered, you know, the Abraham Accords. And he said, what happened was very simple. When BB stood before the US Congress and denounced the Iran deal, you know, criticized the American president in Washington, standing in Congress, they saw strength. And he said, from that point forward, the phone from the Gulf didn't stop ringing. And that it was the demonstration of fortitude on the part of Israel and its leadership that uh, that uh, brought this about. Also, the other element here, and the, the big element, you know, very important element is what the Arab world now sees, uh, to use somebody else's expression, the Americans dismantling their own architecture of security. They're the ones who have you know, left uh, Afghanistan in a chaotic withdrawal. Uh, they are the ones who distanced themselves from the Saudis because of Khashoggi, who didn't respond when oil facilities in Saudi Arabia were attacked. Uh, they were the ones who delisted the Houthi uh, rebels in Yemen from the uh, terrorism list, uh, and that they themselves are distancing themselves. And when you feel abandoned, you begin looking for new friends. And that certainly is part of this. It also explains why um, why you have some talk of the Saudis and others reaching out to China or even to Russia. And the other element here is, which is very confusing and confounding, is there seems to be an attempt now, which will fail, of, of, of trying to seduce Bashar Assad away from the embrace of the Iranians, uh, something that was tried before with his father even. But uh, I, I, that's probably doomed to fail, but they, there may be some naive believe that that's possible and what's going on here has to do also with the renewed conversations taking place between Bashar Assad and Gulf countries that may play a role here but again um you know know, I want to go a little bit from the macro to the micro just for a second one of the you know they say that this attack I never heard of this before until I saw it in the New York Times and I guess I forgot about it something called land day (laughs) which is an annual Palestinian commemoration of Arab protests in 1976 we we know, I, I think um, uh, many people show that even the 9-11 attacks were all, there was a certain importance of the symbolic date of that date in September. Um, and I know that they they do um, think, just like, you know, shoals that have yurt sites for various Rebbes, they have, when they send these men to die and to murder, um, they do it with some sense of symbolism of what it's supposed to, the date is supposed to mean. Um, and I, you know, obviously with Ramadan, uh, being, you know, and I know that there were last year, we know what happened last year in Ramadan. Um, and, uh, it was, it was pretty much close to a war, right? So, um, I think that the, uh, you know, the, the Israelis are, I think, bending over backwards, it seems to try to, um, create a peaceful environment, but. This, it's very, very troubling. I had a lot of meetings recently with the King of Jordan about um, uh, Jordan. Uh, he, he met, he, he flew to Ramallah for a dramatic meeting. Uh, Israelis have visited Jordan recently uh, because Jordan is, does play a role as 
mean, it's complicated because at one point they abdicated it, but they still maintain influence over over uh, what they call Haram al-Sharif, what we call Harabayat. Um, and um, the Temple Mount. And, and there, there were attempts to try to preempt what many thought would be a, a tension-filled month of Ramadan and, and, and to try to quell things down and, you know, make certain concessions about you know, how many will be allowed to come to Jerusalem? Or, right, they were actually, I, th- I think the Israelis were going to um, ease the uh, restrictions uh, right, to right. allow, so allow much more movement. So the Israelis have been very, in some ways, been very smart and, you know, trying to head things off before they happen. Um, and and they've, they've been trying to do that. But again, you know, uh, three terror attacks in eight days, 11 dead. There will be people critical of Shabbat for you know for for this. It's, they could only be critical of the last attack because the first two attacks, Bershev and Chadera, were Israeli Arabs, and that's not the Shabbat's responsibility. But the last fellow was from Janine or the Janine area, and he that's clearly their domain. And so there's going to be a ramping up of intelligence. There's already been a lot of arrests this week, of people suspected of links to Islamic Jihad and ISIS, which seems to be the, the animating organizations behind some of these attacks. But anyway. Another micro, another micro point. Um, I don't know the, you know the exact family details, but uh, as someone who has a Mokhotanum in Bnei Brak, um, and from the Taimani diaspora that, uh, I wouldn't call it diaspora because they actually came back home, but many of the, the Taimani Hevra settled in the Bnei Brak area and I believe one of the Nertzochim is, uh, as I think you is a Tamani Rav, whose father died last year from COVID. He was the, a res, very respected Tamani Rav in, in Israel. And uh, as one of the uh, Maskeedim CBS said this morning, uh, we never thought we'd be back here so soon, meaning uh, his father just died last year. And uh, but, but what, no, what, what I'm saying is if you contrast this, you know, to, you know, the, the incredible Levaya of Chaim Ganyevsky, Zechard Sadevich, and the, what, what, what that Levaya indicated, the achdus of the community, the sense of understanding of the significance, really, even of B'nai Brak as a, as a place of Torah, I, it seems to me <laughs> that, that, that B'nai Brak might have been chosen <laughs> by these murderers as a place where they felt then maybe it was more peaceful. Maybe there wasn't. A, maybe the people wouldn't have yeah. be armed um, to go specifically in Bnei Brak. I think. Um, it's interesting. I'm saying you, you, your mind has to grasp this. I'm not saying Chadera, Chasvisholma, Beersheva are not cities that are holy and beautiful. But Bnei Brak was 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 very prominent lately as a as a as a bastion of of Haredi Judaism of Frumkite of. And, and, and really, the great Kiddush Hashem of, of what occurred last, the last uh, uh, Rav Chaim's Levaya, it seems that perhaps you know, maybe you know, the, you know the, one, one of the jokes the Koreanim uh, used to tell about Israel. You know, when Jews in diaspora established you know beautiful communities, they would sometimes label them as Jerusalem. Right, Vilna was called Yerushalayim Delita, the Jerusalem of the and Baltimore was called Yerushalayim. Right. <laughs> you know. So the joke not is Pikesville, like, not Pikesville, Baltimore. Right, but the joke was, "Bnei Brak is is Yushalayim there as you saw." That was yeah, the joke. No, no, <laughs> they, they, no, they meant it. No, they meant it. I think uh, uh, the Chazanish, uh, Rav Chaim's uncle, 
understood there was something in that they could establish in B'nai Brak that could be sort of hermetically sealed community um, and dedicated to Torah only. And uh, the fact that it occurs there, uh, I think we also have to mention the, you know, the, the uh, Arab Israeli policemen who died Again, we, these are the stories. I mean, all of these stories, the, the Druze policemen in Chadera, right. the, uh, the Arab policemen in B'nai Brak, it just, it, the stupidity of the ultra-left and sometimes the Jewish left, sadly, uh, you know, and how they describe Israel. It, it is so far removed from any reality. And, uh, you know, Israeli Arabs have never been more integrated into Israeli life or the campuses and in high tech and, and, and for them to throw around words like racist and apartheid, it, it's so bizarre. You know, people forget this. When Ehud Olmert was sentenced to prison, former prime minister of Israel, the judge that sentenced him was an Israeli Arab, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it, it is, you know, and, and no one commented on it. And that's, that. And, 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 you know, when, uh, when Rabin was assassinated, smoke screening, whatever it is, um, you know, the the outrage should be should, put this way. There should be more outrage and and anger, frustration, and condemnation. Um, I, I think more people are condemning you know Will Smith for his um, you know, ridiculous act of chivalry of uh, punching out Chris Rock. And let's move from from the uh, sublime, I guess, to the inane. Um, you know, I, I mentioned to you yesterday that I loved Denzel Washington's uh, what Denzel told him. And by the way, I want to tell you just parenthetically, um, the, the, we're staying to Will Smith. He said, when we're at our highest, the devil comes for you. No, and I want to tell you, I, I understood what he meant by that, is that people make their worst mistakes when, they're, when they feel on top of the world, when they feel invulnerable. It's called hubris. That's the word for it. And I think Denzel was just putting in, putting that idea into theological terms. But really what he meant simply was, yeah, when we feel great success, that's when we are are our most reckless. And uh, and that's what he was telling telling Will Smith. Did he mean that, you know, obviously he meant because it's a great night for Will. Everyone expected him as he did when the Oscar for King Richard um, had best acting. And, uh, and, and that led to what he did. I don't know, but uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. We talked about you know the how the Oscars have changed, and we talked about it last week. But the idea of somebody actually hitting hitting a person on live television. Well, as somebody who publicly speaks quite often, I was concerned about the precedent. That's, that wasn't any. It was know, more of a slap, but it was real. Yeah, it was a hard slap. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I listen. Had he been standing a foot away from him, I might be more forgiving because you lose your temper, you hit. You know, I've never hit anyone in anger, so I don't know. But I'm, just, you know, anger can make you do stupid things. Obviously, we lose control. But feeling that anger and then walking across the stage, right? And that to me is very. It was. It was very strange. Also, listen. There's a racial component here. There's a power component. I hate to talk like the left, but there is. The fact is, Will is Will Smith's considered is, is very popular. Uh, he's well liked. He's powerful. Uh, you, you know, had listen, had Mel Gibson gotten out of his seat and struck a black man, he would not have been allowed to stay in the you know 
Okay, no, that's, huh. again, uh, so I, I believe that needs to be said. Others have said it. I felt it right away. Um, no, there's no question. It was right on track. The idea that you give the person a standing ovation. Now, he did apologize, but he didn't apologize to Rock. No, no, but he was 20 minutes in between. What was going on then? I mean, why? So the New York Times reports that backstage there was talk about evicting him and, you know, and, and asking him to leave. Listen, people have very different perceptions of this, and it's fascinating to see it. Uh, they have very different ideas about this. You have a black writer in the New York Times opining that, yes, violence is wrong, but, you know, the idea that we're all supposed to have thick skin and not take offense, that's all crazy. We're allowed to take offense. No, wait a second. Well, but, but you know how, of course, when that is the ultimate, you know, excrement. Think about it. You're talking about people that are that are raking in billions of dollars for um, you know, for everything they, you know, for their programs they've done. I think Chris Rock made a joke a couple of years ago about, about the amount of money Will Smith made for the wild, wild West, like, which was like a, which was really a terrible film, but he's been, he's been the beneficiary of so much good. I'm not saying he didn't struggle. That's the question. I mean, because you're a public person, that's, you're expected to tolerate that, which others would never be expected. Of course, to and even, even, even the tabloids, of course, people say terrible things for years, especially Hollywood rags, National Enquirer, everyone. Right, so, I, so I understand, you know, people who, you know, say, you know, a person's still, all right, whatever it is. I mean, is the price to pay for celebrity include having to sit and smile when people insult you? Of course. That's the question. Of course, I, 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 you know Jada uh, Pinkett Smith herself, um, you know, frowned. She was, you know, I didn't like that, but she she didn't egg him on, go and beat this guy up for me. Um, and, and I don't know exactly the nature of their relationship. I've heard things. The point is, is that you know it, it would seem if you know you're in the public eye, you get you know what celebrity is, and um, you, you take it. I think, you know, but I, again, so, you know, people talked about his biography, you know, where he talks about the guilt he feels for not standing up for his mother when his father beat his mother when he was nine years old. And it has triggered that. And, but listen, the reality is, you know, there are a few things in society left that we draw a red line around. Violence is one of them. And this is a public act of violence. You know, I don't know if he needs to have his Oscar taken away once we do that. What's going to happen to poor Roman Polanski? I mean, so, um, you know, when you start taking Oscars away, you know, I, I still think Bobby Bond should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, you know. anyway, but, you know, you, how far do you go in, in sanctioning people? No, the, the point, though, is, is that I think we've reached a, uh, a place where in the public sphere, you know, this this is considered, if not, you know, you, you know defensible and considered laudable uh and i think look it's obviously you know we talk i don't think it's i don't think is anyone lauding it well there is tiffany haddish uh, went ahead and said it's great to see somebody standing up for black women a lot of people put it in the context of the house judiciary committee hearings on the biden supreme court nominee a black woman who apparently uh was subjected to unfair questioning by republicans and and no one stood up for her until Cory Booker did. So now they're comparing, you know, Jada to uh, to the Supreme Court nominees. You know, like it does seem look that the that the balance, the scale is tipped so far. The finger on the scale is so great. Um, 
you know, this should be like you say, Gibson or Alec Baldwin. We 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 would have railroaded them, and and I think this is something that, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think we're in a situation where nothing can be, you know, where the color of a person's skin has now made it impossible to really be objective in any way. Shape, Listen, I, I even read somebody from the other extreme, which I could not believe what I was reading, that somebody said the that the reason there wasn't more outrage at Will Smith at that moment is because he he only hit a black man. Had he hit a white man, <laughs> I mean that's insane. I mean literally insane. Let's in other words, it's anti-black racism that peep that that led to Will Smith being let off the hook. Not <laughs> not favored treatment of the likes that we were talking about. So I, I've seen the complete opposite interpretation. <laughs> you know, which shows you how ridiculous everything is. I mean, like I say, I, I will say something. And, uh, you know, let's give it up to actors or comedians that are quick on their feet. Chris Rock. Oh, Chris Rock is great. I'd say Chris Rock is quick on his feet. First of all, he takes the punch, slap, whatever it is. He makes a joke about it. Um, <laughs> and um you know i i heard him say i think he, i think he said it was the greatest moment on television yeah, exactly <laughs> and, and again you always love when a a person is able to re- retain his equanimity as opposed to will smith obviously there's something going on between them and chris rock is they were they apparently they worked together on madagascar uh-huh. I'm not sure working on an animated film means you actually see each other ever, yeah. but uh, they didn't work together. Okay, let, let, let me just add one little uh, saccharine moment here as we wrap up our Oscar uh, review. Um, you know, I'm here. Uh, you know, the uh, I, I, as I said, the motel, uh, the Apple TV's uh, Oscar winner Coda. I don't know if you saw yes. it. I did see Coda. Yes. And I have to tell you, I could have, you could have predicted every single aspect of that film, right? You could have actually used paint by numbers, right? Shy girl, um, the family, meeting the teacher, um, the the love interest. Uh, there's going to be some uh, competition at the end. and chase. But I, I, I will say that I, I, um, it's, I don't think it's a great movie. But it, it definitely puts you in a feel-good mood. Listen, there's a lot of history in Hollywood making movies about people with infirmities and therefore, you know, capturing the heart of voters for Oscars. We had uh, but, but, but Big I, Man, Will right. I Am, uh, the other one there. Uh, right, but here the difference. I'm not an animal. I am a human being. Okay, the, 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 the elephant man, John Hurt. Yeah, yeah, right. But, but the difference is all those. Try my imitation. Did you? I, I tell you, I, the elephant man was not one of the, the story of David Merrick. I did not see it, but I'm happy that you were able to uh, pull that out of your memory bank. But here's, here's the point: Dustin Hoffman and 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 uh, John Hurt. Those actors, of course, were playing a role, whereas here. The 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 prime performance uh, by Troy right, is actually from a person who is deaf, and uh, he was great. I mean, he was able through sign language to be as effective as any salty, um, 
ex-hippie character has any right to be. And I think that itself is something, a, a great progress. Uh, I think that that is uh, a, a very important statement about right. inclusion. And it's great to see part of that. Um, I would I'm, just like to point out that I, in fact, if called upon, could play the role of a bald man. I'm just saying, without... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Of course, you know what Aristotle said about that. You know, Aristotle says it's an indicator of of increased intellectualism and virility. So yes, it is. <laughs> yes. So wear it, wear it well. Uh, well, I guess you should feel something for Jada. I mean, Jada has that uh, the that that. Uh, uh, or George Costanza would have said, "She's bald, <laughs> completely bald." Speaking, yeah, may, you know, it's, it's possible, Rabbi, if you, uh, you know, you, the same way George, you know, sported a toupee for a while, and and somehow he became. Do you remember of, in high school you person. were right below me, but do you remember that teacher we had in high school who was who wore a toupee? Um, an Mr. English Lef- teacher, Mr. Leffler. No, no, not Leffler. Du Bois, Mr. Du Bois, yes, Du Bois, yeah, five years so, Sure. So, like, so early in the year, the school year. Uh, we were given an assignment to give an exchange, a speech, a prepared speech in class. Everybody had to make a two-minute speech. Because we were sadistic, horrible people in those days, everyone got together and decided we would all talk about the same subject, which is toupees. Yes. So one guy got up and said, you know, the history of toupees, how to wear a toupee, how to, <laughs> how to, how to maintain a toupee. You know, everybody talked about toupees. The poor guy, you know, started crying in class and walked out. We were horrible to him. Yes, it was Ivy. Remember Fivey Du Bois? Yeah, we. I actually had. I, yeah, I think I had him as well. I think I actually. I think we actually. Uh, he was a nice guy. We actually studied Macbeth. Uh, with oh him. yeah. And I remember we put on a. Um, I, I think I, I think I think we put on a a a, poor, a play that was sort of like a. Played, if I recall, you played Lady Macbeth. <laughs> no, it was it was actually the four. Oh damn spot. No, it was actually the president of the OU, Mark Bain, actually played Lady Macbeth. Oh yeah, <laughs> he actually played Lady Macbeth. I was I, I, I um, you know, it's interesting. Variety magazine never did a story. Where are they now? The star, the stars of Nereus from Macbeth. Yes, we called it Macaulay. <laughs> I think we called it Macaulay. You remember <laughs> the teacher who used to come? His real name, his name, I think, I, I, or Macduff, who kills Macbeth. Was my was my good friend Ezra Cohen, who 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 died uh, two years later in an explosion in Israel on a landmine. So right. So Let's yeah. wrap this baby up because right. he went to hell in a handbasket. Okay. Oh yeah, we went off. Yeah, we. It's not a. It was, I'm gonna have to like edit all this crap. It got ugly. Yeah. I take full responsibility. Yeah, yeah. As usual, you, <laughs> you stole my you stole my line like twenty times. But it's all right. Like when, when I wanted to, when, when I wanted to Denzel's line, I, I said half of it. <laughs> you're going to say the other half, okay? <laughs> All right. My, by the way, my granddaughter, my new granddaughter, is. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.